Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to venture into some history of the soldier's home up in Grand Rapids and talk about a murder that happened there in 1892. So come along and join me. This should be a very interesting episode going back into a little bit of history of the veterans' homes in the state of Michigan and tell you a little bit of a story that is, uh, well, it's a true crime story. So it is what it is. Come along and join me. So to go back in history a little bit, the Michigan Veterans Facility Act authorized the establishment of veterans' homes within the state of Michigan, and this was passed in 1885. Now, this was legislation that was called for following the Civil War, and it was to establish the Michigan Soldiers' Home, and the goal was to provide housing, medical, and nursing care for veterans. And initially, the only soldiers that were admitted there were veterans of the Civil War. So they passed this act, which was to fund a Michigan soldier's home. And then in 1886, they established this home in Grand Rapids. And it was built on 90 acres of land. And they had expert builders build three main buildings and then later added 19 additional buildings plus a 5,000 grave cemetery. And over the decades, the Grand Rapids home would experience changes in membership and their focus would change and the physical structure of the building would change. And as time went on, additional wars happened in the nation and more veterans were admitted into this facility and then eventually became the general veterans home by the 1970s. And their focus has changed to more of a shift towards nursing care. And then moving in forward in time in 1981, the addition of servicemen and women who served in Vietnam was added. And the 1970s and early 1980s saw growth within the Michigan veterans population um, because of this. So to meet the growing need, a second home was established and opened up in Marquette using the former St. Mary's Hospital. And this four-story building now occupies a entire city block up in Marquette. And then in 1991, the two homes, the one in Grand Rapids and the one in Marquette, were transferred from the former Michigan Department of Public Health to the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs. So that, in short, is kind of the history of the veterans' homes in Michigan. So back in the 1890s, which is where my story takes place that I'm going to talk to you about today, the veterans' home was relatively new in Grand Rapids. It had been built in 1886, and this incident occurred in 1892. And it essentially is the story of two aged veterans who got into a fight inside the soldier's home. And it's kind of interesting to look at as well as some of the dynamics of the time. So I thought I would do an episode on it and share this story with you because there's been an interest in true crime episodes on this podcast. So the incident occurred on the evening of March 4th, 1892. 
in the veterans' home in Grand Rapids. James Johnson, who was 70 years old, and Peter Thomas, who was 72, both of them were black men, and they quarreled over politics at the soldiers' home late one night, with the result that one of them stabbed the other fatally and severed his femoral artery. And I'll go into the details of the incident here in a minute. So James Johnson, who drew a pension at this time of $12 a month, these were Civil War pensions, and he had come to Grand Rapids in the afternoon to have his pension voucher executed. And he returned about 3 o'clock with himself filled up with liquor. He returned back to the home at about 3 o'clock, and he was in a very quarrelsome mood. And he proceeded to the apartments that he was staying at. Now, at this time, there was segregation in the apartments in the veterans' homes, so the black soldiers stayed on one floor of the dispensary, and that was on the fourth floor. And he walked back in after he'd been out drinking a little bit around town, and he walked in on three veterans that were sitting around at a table, Joseph Clark, he was also known as the Professor, and James Curry, and another man by the name of Peter Thomas. They were all sitting down having a discussion. And during the afternoon after Johnson arrived, they began to get into various political arguments. And during that time, the first horn blew for supper, and Johnson left to go down and have supper. The horns in this building were blown at different you know, times. The first sound, if you heard the first horn, you went and you were in the group that went down to the first table, then you went down to eat. And then if your assignment was the second horn, then you went down on the second horn blow. So when the first horn blew, that was Johnson's supper call. And the other three had to wait until the second horn blew. So Johnson went down to go eat at the uh, table down in the commissary area. And when he got done eating, he went back up and saw the three gentlemen up there, and they asked him what was for supper. And Johnson replied that there was no meat, and that was all basically he said about the dinner. So the next horn blew, and Thomas, Clark, and Curry went to supper, and they found that Johnson had misrepresented the spread of the meal. On the table, there was pork and beans. And so when Thomas returned to the dispensary after they'd eaten at about 6 o'clock, he said to Johnson, I thought you were a temperance man. You said there was no meat for supper, and we had pork and beans. And then he said, that's just the way with you Republicans. And Johnson retorted, oh, the Republicans are about as good as you Democrats, retorted Johnson. So the two of them got into this political argument um, and about being Democrat or Republican. And Thomas replied, don't you begin to abuse the Democrats. Democrats are just as good as Republicans. And Johnson replied, what did the Democrats ever do for you? You always stick up for the Democrats, but you ought to be a Republican, and so forth. They went back and forth at this at at this point. And um, Thomas basically said, I'm a free American citizen and I can vote for whoever I want and so forth. So you kind of get the idea. They were going at each other about their political belief. And this back and forth exchange basically degraded until they started calling each other pretty harsh names. And Johnson then made a rush for Thomas. Remember, Johnson had been drinking a little bit. And then uh, Thomas, in defense, picked up Mr. Curry's cane, which was at the edge of the 
cot that they were sitting on, and he started hitting Johnson back with some heavy blows over the head. And finally, the two men grappled each other and were rolling around on the floor. And Johnson basically threw Thomas down on the floor and was kicking him in the face and then on the side, in the back. And Thomas was calling out for someone there to take Johnson off of him, saying that he could defend himself if he just gained his feet. Now, the difficulty with his two colleagues in that room is Curry was lame in both legs, and so he couldn't stand up. He was confined to a chair, and he couldn't do really anything. And Clark was also um, older and infirm. He was an older of the of the group there. So they didn't really have the ability to physically separate the two men. But they did leave the room and they went and summoned Sergeant Chatfield, who was in a neighboring room, and said, hey, these two guys are fighting. So Chatfield rushes into the room and separates the two combatants. And he clung on to Johnson and he ordered Thomas to get up and leave the room. And before, he, before Thomas could leave, the room, Johnson broke free from Chatfield and made another lunge over at Thomas. So Sergeant Chatfield was of small stature and he wasn't able to control the two men. They were bigger than him and so he ran off to go get assistance. And Clark, who was the older gentleman, stood in the doorway and saw the fight go on to the finish. Uh, there were some furious blows that exchanged between the two men and when they separated, Thomas reached into his pocket and pulled out a jackknife with a wooden handle and a blade about three inches long. And Johnson came at Thomas again. And then he approached Thomas. This time, Thomas struck him and cut a gash about an inch long and deep on the right side of Johnson's head. And instead of this slowing down Johnson, this only in served to infuriate him more, and he engaged in a more furious onslaught of Thomas, and then Thomas slashed again, this time swinging his arm upward, and he forced the blade up to the handle into Johnson's left groin area, and he severed his femoral artery. So Johnson staggered back, exclaiming that he'd been cut. He managed to make his way to the doorway, and then he walked down to the hallway a short distance, and he sank to the floor. And every step that he took, blood was spurting in streams from the wound, saturating the floor. So he had definitely cut into his artery. Now, by this time, Commandant McKee and Quartermaster Shank and the superintendent, whose name was Chatfield, had reached the scene from downstairs, having been summoned by the people that went to go get him. Johnson was then taken to the hospital, and a Dr. D.C. Spaulding, the home physician, was attending to him. Now, Thomas made no attempt to get away. He sat down on the edge of the cot, and the two men... Um, were placed in charge of him, and Sheriff McQueen from Grand Rapids was summoned, as well as Deputy Sheriff Beaver, and they detail to uh, place Thomas under arrest. Now, both Thomas and Johnson were veterans of the Civil War, and so they were well-respected, as a lot of veterans were during this time. So this was kind of a sad affair for everybody involved, that these two had gone after each other and, and done this. And when Thomas was interviewed in his cell later by a reporter from the Herald, which is where this newspaper article came from, the Grand Rapids Herald, uh, he, he described that Johnson had gone after him first and he defended himself 
First he struck him with a cane, then he was thrown down and kicked on the floor, and then he was pulled off, and then he got up again, and then Johnson came at him again, and this time he stabbed him in self-defense. And the whole trouble was over politics, and he he doesn't know how the argument started. It was at something about right after supper that this all happened and so forth, which I already described. Now, Peter Thomas, the man who had committed this crime, was a veteran of the 31st Regiment of the United States Colored Troops. Uh, he had enlisted at Schenectady, New York on June 24th, 1864, and he was a member of Company G. And he'd been married twice. His second wife and four children were living in Flint, Michigan, in the state of Michigan here. And when he got older, he was placed in the home there in Grand Rapids about three years prior. So he'd been there for three years. Now, Johnson, he had enlisted in the 120th Michigan Colored Troops at St. Joseph, Michigan, on October 27, 1863. And he went to the home about a year prior and was living in the veterans home for about a year. Now he was only living at the home temporarily under a very specific assignment called temporary at post. It was I guess an arrangement that they had with veterans that had family that lived in the city and he had a wife that lived in the Grand Rapids area. Now of the two men, Thomas had a record for good behavior. He had had a fight with another resident there by the name of Samuel Forrest, who was an older soldier, who walked out of a window a few weeks ago before this incident and had broken his arm. But otherwise, he'd been regarded as been an orderly inmate. So Thomas did have a history of fighting, but only one prior fight. Whereas Johnson, according to the quartermaster, he had a series of very ugly, quarrelsome events at his time living at the home, and he was generally regarded to be an ugly, quarrelsome disposition at all times. And this was not his first time that he got into a fight about politics with somebody there at the veterans' home. So Johnson was taken to the hospital, and initially there were thoughts that he might be able to survive. One of the doctors had dressed his wounds, and so Thomas was charged with assault and placed in custody over that matter, and the charges were eventually changed to murder when Johnston died. A short time later, he was in the hospital for about a week when he passed away. So the trial of Peter Thomas began in April of 1892, and they described him in the article as the old fellow whose hair is as white as snow sat all alone inside the railing of the court. There were no friends present, and only a few that were present in the courtroom. Most of them the witnesses that were providing evidence used by the people to prove guilt. Uh, this was the prosecution. He had a, a court-appointed defender to defend him in court. Uh, Dr. Spaulding was the first witness sworn. He testified in regard to the nature of the wounds inflicted in Johnson's growing by the knife at the hand of Thomas. He thought the stab necessarily uh, fatal, but was considerably surprised at the length of time Johnson lived after the uh, time he was admitted to the hospital. And he testified at times he thought there were hopes and entertained a possibility that he might recover from the injury. 
But unfortunately, Johnson never regained consciousness, and he finally expired about a week and a half after he'd been admitted to the hospital. And essentially, all of the witnesses that were present during the quarrel and the fight testified, and they gave the account of which pretty much aligned with what uh, Thomas had explained happened, that they got into this fight after dinner about politics, and the two men went to blows and so forth resulting in one stabbing the other. So ultimately, Peter Thomas was convicted of manslaughter, and he was sentenced on April 5th, 1892. And when he went for his sentencing hearing, you know, he was somewhat infirm in his manner in which he walked and he stooped over, but he stood there and took his sentence um, without making a scene in the courtroom. Uh, He's 72 years old. He was sentenced to three years in Jackson State Penitentiary. And, um, And that's what the outcome of this was. But that's the story of the murder at the soldier's home when uh, Peter Thomas stabbed to death James Johnson over a fight of politics. Both of them were in their 70s, and I guess they were both uh, a tendency to uh, quarrel a little bit based on the history, probably Johnson more than Thomas, but uh, the sad outcome of two soldiers of the American Civil War. But that's going to conclude today's episode, looking at this little chapter of history from the Grand Rapids area and the state of Michigan with the soldier's home and a little bit of true crime mixed in with it as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on out there. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you'd like to come see me at one of my book signings for my book on Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime, this story is not in the book, but uh, it may be in a future book. I may include this in a, another collection of stories in the future at some point. But um, the book I've got coming out has 17 stories. Most of them you have not heard of. I think I've only told you a few of them on this podcast. So should be a lot of fun to read some of these historic murder stories that happened right here in southwest Michigan. And the calendar for all my uh, book signings is on my website, michaeldelaware.com, and I'll put the link to that calendar in the show note descriptions of this episode. And I'd love to see you guys out there. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.